Blog Talk Radio. Well, good morning, everyone. I hope you're having a phenomenal day. I tell you what, I spent just a glorious evening with my bride, and we just we just had some fun time. Then got up this morning, and my oldest son happened to be at my watering hole, so he bought my breakfast. And then I was on the phone with a just a phenomenal young lady who is running. A, a remarkable company in and of herself. So it's just been a, I mean, it has been a rocking day, I tell you what. I mean, it is just, uh, it's beautiful. We had a we had a thunder shower come through here last night. We call them squalls when they come in. But you know what? It's sunshiny day, not a cloud in the sky. And I've got some great calls I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be on the phone with the, the chief, I don't know if we call her a formulator, but she's the chief scientist officer at Evolve right after this call as she shares with me about their new product. I mean, it's just some great stuff. Doug Fireball and I last night interviewed BK Brieco, the, the founder of Vima. He's going to be on one of our new uh, executive spotlight shows over at the Home Business Radio Network. I mean, just some great stuff going on. And you say, Troy, what the heck does this have to do with John Acuff's book, Quitter, Closing the Gap Between Your Day Job and Your Dream Job? I'll tell you what it has to do. I was where John was at not too long ago. I was sitting there thinking, man, you know, am I going to be sitting up here on this roof, putting on shingles, being known as a as a guy that knows how to roof? Am I going to be a guy that runs a restaurant because he knows how to cook? Or am I going to do what I really love to do? And that's what I did. And I found my niche. And I pursued it, not before... I didn't go quit my day job. I was still doing it. But I found what I truly loved. And that's what we're going to talk about. Removing the I'm from your butt. Interesting, but, but listen to this. He said, I've never been invited to a staying put get-together. It seems like we always do a little a little shindig for people that are leaving. He goes, I've never heard of a sticking around forever shindig. He goes, there's a simple reason for that. We live in a culture, a corporate culture, that celebrates people who leave and ignores those who stay. And, and it's not just a corporate, a corporate structure. I have never seen us hold a, a, a big, what we call, uh, afterglows or potlucks because the preacher's sticking around. But we always seem to, to feed his belly full and send him off. We do this with everybody. You don't celebrate because your kids come back home after they left the nest, but you sure celebrate when they leave. I mean, it's interesting that we celebrate leaving. I think maybe the only place where we where we don't celebrate leaving was when Jesus went to heaven because everybody's standing around waiting for him to come back. But outside of that, it's always celebrating somebody leaving. I remember I'd leave Granny's, and she'd say, Now, take your time going, but hurry back. You know, and we always left with a full stomach. Matter of fact, I'll take this a step further. Now, I don't know if this is how it is at your place, but there is not one person ever died in my family where I've shown up at the funeral that we did not celebrate with one heck of a southern meal. I mean, there was food from one end to the other, and everybody talking about, oh, they were the greatest people. We're going to miss them past the sweet potatoes. We just live in this culture, and John nails it. It's like when you look at it from the from the corporate standpoint, 
It's like we're so ashamed that we don't have the guts to leave like somebody else is leaving. It's amazing. We just we're just quietly staying in our little cubicle. We're quietly driving our truck. We're quietly checking the meters. We're quietly waiting on tables. It's like we we automatically those that are going to quit and leave, we automatically label them the winners. The question is though, and this is what we got to look at. Why is it that way? See, usually people when you when you go up and and this happens, you know, we're We'll be sitting around one of our accountability meetings, or we'll be sitting around a church or somewhere, and say, hey, what is it that you do, man? Well, I'm a, I'm a teacher, but I want to be a network marketer. Well, I, I'm, a, I'm an accountant, but I really want to be a rock star. Well, I'm a, I'm a project manager, but I really want to start my own restaurant. You know, the one thing that I've been blessed with down here at the beach is I've met attorneys, CPAs, doctors. They all end up owning restaurants or some beach deal or a fishing boat. They actually follow their dreams. The question is, what can we do to follow ours? See, the sentence always starts with, I'm A, but I want to be. I'm A, but I want to be. I even know some preachers that say, I'm a preacher, but I want to be. So why aren't you? See, I think the question is, how can we get back to what it is that we want to do? Why is it that when we're young, we can conquer the world? How many of you want to be an astronaut? Everybody raises their hands. How many is a singer? Everybody raises their hand. I'm reading a book by Craig Rochelle. talks about there was they had a spot in their choir, 50 spots. There was 52 of them trying out. Everybody wanted to try out. He was one of the two that didn't make it. See, all along the way, we start getting these little rejection buttons pushed. And all of a sudden, we stop looking at what we love. We start hearing the voices say, you got to get a job. Don't worry about being an actor. Don't worry about being an artist. Don't worry about writing a book. You need to go out there and do something with your life. Don't be a dreamer. You weren't born that way. Don't, don't be doing that. John shares the fact, he says, I'm not a guitar player, I'm not a painter, and I'm not a runner. Not that he didn't try those. He said, I've taken all the personality tests. Some of them tell me I'm like Bill Cosby. Some of them tell me I'm like somebody else. Some of them tell me I'm like Ariel from the Little Mermaid. He said, I've tried it. I wanted to be a guitar player, and I did for 30 minutes, but I was horrible. I was a horrible painter, tried that for 30 minutes. When I was trying to play guitar, I bought a Martin D1 expensive guitar. When I wanted to paint, I bought $200 worth of paint. I wanted to be a runner, so I ran two hours and 39 minutes, came home soaked in the tub for an hour. My wife said, would you hurry up and get outside and go shopping? I'm not a guitar player, I'm not a painter, I'm not a runner. I'm a writer. Something that took me decades to remember. I want you to think about that. I am so blessed with the woman that I married. Because when she was really young and in school, she won an award for creative writing. When she wrote the story about how she was the, the daughter, the long-lost daughter of Sonny and Cher, the teacher thought it was so creative. She told her, man, you have got a knack. What do you call it? A niche? A knack. A knack. Thank you, guys. 
for I love having these voices in my ear telling me when I screwed up. Telling telling her that she had the knack for writing. Now that's amazing. A young girl, creative, God gave her a talent, then she started growing up. And like all of us kids that have these fun, loving parents that just love us to death, oh, you need to you need to you need to go do this, you need to go do that, you need to go get an education, you need to go to school, you need to and she kept putting that writing on the back burner. Writing on the back burner. Writing on the back burner. Then one day she met this wild and crazy and rebelish guy that just flat didn't know anything. All I remember is I had a point in my life when I was sitting in school. I actually started, and I told you guys the story, when I was really young and my mom read the story, knock out the tea. So I went around saying, I can do anything. I can do anything. I remember sitting in class. My history teacher looked at me and said, you can do anything you want to. I remember my coach saying, you can do anything that you want to. I remember my drill instructor saying, you can do anything that you want to. So I looked at my little girl and I said, you can do anything that you want to. She joined her first writing club. She wrote her first manuscript. Eighty percent of first manuscripts are rejected Instead of a rejection, she got a check in the mail. And the rest is history. She, she knew what her passion was. She loves to write. And she now she writes blogs and she writes romances and she just got picked up by Harlequin and all that jolly gee good stuff. And when you ask her, she says, I'm a writer, a romance writer. See, we all have this opportunity. Sadly, most of us aren't like Paige, my wife. Most of us have hidden it inside because people made fun of us. See, John says this. He says, you might not verbalize this, but inside you start to think that when you finally land upon what it is that you're supposed to be doing in your life, it'll be a pleasant surprise. Or we think finding out what we want to do is going to be a revelation in our 20s or 30s or 40s, we will just automatically stumble upon some activity we've never done. And like a kid tasting ice cream for the first time, we'll be hooked. It doesn't work that way. Art Williams taught me a long time ago, there has never been a test, nor will there ever be a test, that can look deep inside the heart of a man or a woman to decide how bad they want something and what they're willing to do to go get it. And see, I believe that there's a flicker in your heart. Your why, why you were put on this earth, there's a flicker. It doesn't have to do with money. Now, money may be the, 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 one of the ultimate things that comes from it. You may become financially independent and, and save millions of lives like a rock and roll star, I know. But it probably won't happen that way. Not in the beginning. But see, I'm a firm believer, and John's a firm believer. You already know your why. You've probably just hidden it. You've got to rediscover why you're doing what you're doing. See, it's interesting. John writes this. I thought this was good. He said, more often than not, finding out what, you're, what you love doing most is about rediscovering an old love or an inescapable turn 
that from, from an inescapable turn that was silenced decades ago. He shares a story in here about Bono, the lead singer from U2. And him and his wife were, were I think they were in Ethiopia, Ethiopia. They saw firsthand the, the hunger, the devastation, kids dying. And he looked at his wife and he said, man, this is something that's going to stick with us forever. And she looked back and said, no, it won't. Because if we remember it, we won't be able to handle it. It's like, wow. This was in the 80s. John first heard this story because Bono was telling it to Bill Heibel, a pastor out of Chicago. And it's interesting because at that time, Bono was just getting started in the United States. He wasn't ready for what he was going to become. And now... It's not just helping to feed the hunger of Ethiopians. I carry a red card with me from Starbucks where every time I spend money it goes to help fight AIDS and HIV with new research money. See, it's interesting. When we find our why, it will stick with us. I knew I loved network marketing. But building an organization wasn't filling that void. I knew there was something more. In 2009, when I decided to make the jump to working closer with corporations and, and, and really being able to provide free services to distributors, it's amazing what happened. As I started writing, as I started shooting videos... All of a sudden, I realized my why. It's because every now and then I get a little email or I get a phone call or I get a text message from somebody that said, you changed my life by what you said. And now I'm doing this. I found this company. You saved me from doing it. I got an email over the weekend from a man named Bill. Bill said, Troy, a few years ago you did a, an article, a pretty scathing article and video on Narc That Car. And I hated you for that, and I wrote you a nasty email. I want to ask your forgiveness because I didn't understand then what your role is in network marketing. And now that I understand truly where your passion lies, and I've watched your videos over and over, and it saved me tens of thousands of dollars in mistakes, I want to say thank you. Will you please forgive me? To Bill, me saying, yes, I forgave you was important what Bill didn't realize is that he was just one of many that would write a negative email or a post, and, and I don't, I mean, it's just we just blow those off. I didn't remember that he had been negative, but yet that stuck in his mind, and I said, man, I forgive you, bro. No, no, no big deal at all. I don't take it personal. See, I know now, helping and serving people, I wear a band on my arm that says, I am second. See, I'm one of the few people out there that will never train on being number one. I train on being what you're supposed to be. Because at the end of the day, that's what's important. See, there's something burning in you that is your why. It's going to be the catalyst that's going to help you quit your day job, but you don't go after your why after you've quit your day job. You do it while you're still at your day job. See, that's the key, and that's what you've got to go. But the sad thing is most of us are told that our dreams are nothing. Our why is nothing. Don't focus on that. And all of a sudden we start believing it, and there's three reasons we believe that. 
John list them here. He says, number one, when, when you think your dream is nothing, it can't hurt you. See, if your gift was something, then the pull to explore it would always be there, which means you'd have to take some risk. You may have to jump off a cliff. The second reason is because nothing is comfortable. Call it the, the better of two evils, if you will. Well, I know how this is, and although I'm not the happiest in the world, I'll, I'll just stick it out a while longer because it's safe. We call it the status quo, which takes us to number three. It's normal. People with somethings, people with dreams, they're weird. Interesting, isn't it? Do you ever sit back and realize that it's the dreamers that created what we have today in the world? I mean, that's, that's when you think about that. That is pretty daggum interesting. Powerful, if you will. You could change the world. Your kids, your grandkids may change the world when you go after it. So what do we do? How do we do it? Do we keep telling ourselves a lie? It's not worth it. It's nothing. My dream isn't anything. I don't need to do that. Let me tell you about dreams. Let me tell you how, how people can change the world. I remember growing up in the 60s. And, and one of the things that I just passionately loved every, every holiday season, my dad would go out and he would buy bags of peanuts. And he would buy bags of pretzels. And he would buy bags of rice checks and wheat checks and, and corn checks. And he had this spice that he put together. And, and he put all this on a, on a tray. And he put these spices in there. And then he put it in the oven. And it was on a low bake. Then he brought it out, and we would have bowls of check mix. Now, fast forward to the 21st century, and my daddy wasn't the only one that did it, so don't he didn't invent it. But here's what happened. Company, I think it's Post, that owns checks, they realized what the American people were doing because people were telling everybody, and they were sending recipes in at the time, and, and guess what happened? Now they box it up, and you just buy it pre-made. You don't even have to make it. Somebody's dream, somebody's idea, somebody's recipe went viral in an old-fashioned way. Somebody took what somebody said, hey, no big deal, you know, no, no, boom, it's gone. How many times have you thought of something and somebody else all of a sudden had it? See, we're not, it doesn't work when we ask ourselves, what do I want to do with my life? It is, that isn't what it's about. Because then you feel overwhelmed. You're trying to figure it all out. You're, well, I don't know. I'm no Bono. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm no Steve Jobs. I'm prettier than Bill Gates. I can't be one of those Kardashian girls. There, there's just too many. It's, it, it blows your mind. And when somebody says, "Well, what do you want to do with your life?" You don't know. You don't. You don't even know how to answer that. But John writes this. If finding your dream is an act of recovery, not discovery, then it changes everything. See, all of a sudden you're not asking, what do I want to do with my life? Instead, you're asking, what have I done in my life that I love doing? Whoa. Troy, you're using that love word again. You just used that in the last series. Of course I do. It's the greatest four-letter action word that ever happened. They should have an action hero called love, super love. But, I mean, seriously, it's what it is. 
And see, here's what happens, and this is where John really gets personal. He says it all starts with the hens. He says, Mercedes had a problem. They had developed an incredibly expensive sports car called the SLR, and it cost more than four hundred grand. But what they had to do to sell the car, because they knew if we're going to sell that car, everything on it has to be spectacular. It, need to ha- it needed to scream high-end performance. Every detail had to be perfectly matched to the power and the luxury of the car. Otherwise, the drivers wouldn't, have to, wouldn't buy it. The engine had to be extraordinary. The doors needed to be gateways to an adventure, not just a matter of being set in the car. The ignition had to be igniting. And when you think about it, the way we've started our cars hasn't really changed dramatically. You know, when you get into any kind of car, the ignition's kind of the same thing. Here's your key. Turn it on. Interesting, isn't it? But Mercedes did something different. They put a hinge over the ignition switch. And all of a sudden, it changed John's life forever. See, on top of the button, they put this small hinge that held a cover in place. In order to start the car, you had to first open the cover, then press down on the ignition button with, or yeah, the ignition button with your thumb. Now think about this for a second, especially you guys. Every great adventure, the astronauts going to the moon have to pop a hinge and press the ignition switch. Top Gun the movie, in order to shoot the weapons, he has to pop the switch. The President of the United States, before he can push the button, has to turn the key, flip the hinge, and push the button. All of a sudden, when you're getting inside that Mercedes-Benz, you're popping the hinge. And you're pressing the ignition of one of the most elaborate sports cars of all time. See, that has to be our catalyst. That has to be what gets us going. And see, if this is what we're after, then there's five questions you need to write down right now if you want to start looking at that dream job. If you're in network marketing, listen up right now. I want you to know this. If you're in franchising, listen up. I want you to hear this. If you own a brick-and-mortar business, I don't care what you listen. The business that you're in, in and of itself, is not your dream. It's the financial vehicle that's going to get you where you need to go. Plain and simple. And if you get wrapped up in all the crap that it takes to run your business, you will never reach your dream. You better ask yourselves the following five questions. Number one, what do I love enough to do for free? What's the passion? It wouldn't matter if there's compensation or not. You'd do it for free. You ask me that, and I'll tell you, I would blog and help people and pick up the telephone and do everything I could to change their lives. I do it in Sunday school. I do it in church. I do it in accountability classes. I do it with my family. It's what I love to do. Every morning, I'm either at the beach or I'm at Harbor Docks, and my phone will ring, and I mentor somebody, and it doesn't cost them a dime. Because years ago, somebody mentored me, and it didn't cost me a dime. There's also times throughout the day when my phone calls and people spend a lot of money 
to have me mentor them, and they can afford it. They're CEOs, they're top leaders, they're company owners, they're attorneys. But I get to do what I love, and a lot of times I get to do it for free. So what is it that you love enough that you would do for free? Number two, what do I do that causes time to feel different? Think about that one. What is it that you do in your life that when you do it and you walk away, it's like, man, that, that I can't believe that went by so fast. I can't believe how I feel when I walk out of this. This is awesome. This is exciting. What is it? Number three, what do I enjoy doing regardless of the opinions of other people? <laughs> well, if you read some of the comments people leave me, you'll see. I love giving facts and details to an otherwise skeptical world. It's not about an agenda. It's about just honoring the facts. Here is the honest to goodness truth of the situation. I love doing that, whether it's a spiritual walk, a business move, or it's a relationship. Number four, if only your life changed, would that be enough? Now that's a super deep question. If only your life changed, would that be your, be enough? In other words, if you killed yourself for years creating something, and at the end of the experience, the only life that was changed was yours, would it be rewarding? I'm starting to make such an impact with some of our blogs that Wall Street watches. I'll be doing a blog post later today or tomorrow that will have to do with short-selling publicly traded MLM stocks. I never know when I write a post if it's going to change anybody's life but mine. But by the time I get done with the research, I usually understand a subject pretty well. In the last year, I've read over 13 books on marriage and relationships. Because I want to make sure that I'm changing for the better, no matter what happens. I've been married 25 years come July. And I want to make the next 25 years better than the first. Number five. Matter of fact, I'm going to stop right there for a minute because my wife looked me in the eye last night. And she said something to me that that I hope every person that has been married 25 years or more will hear. She looked me right dead in the eye. She got as close to my face as she could, and she said, "I always want to be the fantasy that you think about." And I thought, "Wow." See, when you put it in the business, you need to be looking yourself dead in the mirror. And you may be you need to say to yourself, I want to be the first life that you change. Because when you change, other people will change. And number five, are there any patterns in the things that you like doing? See, I like blogging, I like writing, I like speaking. In other words, I like serving other people. See, that's the key to the whole thing. You write those five questions down, you go listen to this archive. Tomorrow, what lies between a day job and a dream job? We are going to have a blast. Live life like it's an epic adventure and be back here tomorrow morning on RealMentorsRadio.com. Bye now.